Welcome to Season 2 of Ing Podcast, a production of Menno Media's Leader Magazine. What does it mean to authentically follow Jesus? Each week, Ing Podcast invites you to join us on a journey. Join us as we talk with people of faith who are creatively thinking, growing, and being. People who are reimagining and exploring what it means to enrich faith in a complex world. Faith communities are uniquely situated to provide outstanding mental health supports when we do what God calls us to do. Churches are designed to be places where people experience meaning and purpose and belonging and value and hope. And those are the mental health supports that we are best qualified to provide. Our conversation begins now. Join us as we journey together. Hello again, friends. Welcome back to Ing Podcast. I'm excited today to be joined by Carlene Hill Byron. Um, She is a fundraiser and a communicator for nonprofits that serve people with disabilities and other profound life challenges. She also happens to be one of Menno Media's Herald Press authors, and we're really excited to have her here with us today to talk about themes from her book, Not Quite Fine, Mental Health, Faith, and Showing Up for One Another. Carlene, thank you so much for joining us here on Ing Podcast. I'm really glad to be here with you today. Thank you, Ben. Your book has a lot to offer, and we will get to that. But I'm wondering, for those who don't know you, how do you describe yourself? Oh, my goodness. Well, I am sitting in my home office looking out on my neighborhood street. Mm. In my neighborhood, I'm the lady who plants things. Oh. So <laughs> people know me for, I just did the entry monument of the neighborhood this okay, weekend. Okay, great. Um, in my church, I'm a member of the council. I sing in the choir. Um, I'm sure there's other things I do too. Mm-hmm. I've been a volunteer chaplain in our local hospital's senior health center for several years. Um, and I really like to bake. Wow. So my standard holiday baking is someplace between 30 and 50 dozen, most of which <laughs> goes to somebody's fundraiser. Wow, that's amazing. Well, as, <laughs> as someone who's spent some time in, in pastoral spaces, in nonprofit spaces, I know that for people who work in those areas, there's always something else to be doing too. So you have quite a full plate. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us on the podcast. Um, amid all of that, you somehow felt this call to write a book. Can you talk about the uh, the journey to this new book, Not Quite Fine? You know, it was one of those things that I experienced as God just making a path. Mm. I mean, I've belonged to a particular writers group for several years, and one of the other authors, Leslie Vernick, who has also published on Menno Media, sent out a call in the group saying Menno Media was looking for authors on these three topics. I thought, oh, that one sounds fun. I'll write a proposal. And about halfway through, I realized I wasn't qualified to write on that topic. And so I came back to Menno Media and said, find a different author. I couldn't <laughs> do this for you. And within 24 hours, Menno Media came back to me and said, but you do write about mental health. Would you consider a proposal in that arena? Oh, wow. So that's how the initial contract process got started. And I feel really grateful that I received the contract 
at about the same time we locked down for the pandemic. Mm. So during the many hours that I was not doing the things that I usually do in the community, I was able to sit at my desk and write a book that I hope is helpful to people. Wow. Pandemic provided the space needed, I guess. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wonderful. Um, And this is not a... uh, lighthearted book, I guess you could say, talking about mental health and faith and showing up for one another. Um, How do you describe this book for people who've not yet picked it up? This book hopes to help people who are part of faith communities recognize that faith communities are uniquely situated to provide outstanding mental health supports when we do what God calls us to do. Mm. Churches are designed to be places where people experience meaning and purpose and belonging and value and hope. And those are the mental health supports that we are best qualified to provide. One of the things that motivated me to get into this topic was feeling like I was seeing churches moving into and creating and attempting to create specialized mental health services that added burdens to the pastors Mm. and the staff and the elders and so forth that took away from their ability to do what God has in fact called us to do in the mental health arena. Wow. And so that's kind of what motivated the project. I would as I would assume that we approach mental health in faith spaces with some awareness of the ways that we have failed in the past, right? Like <laughs> that we have had a tendency perhaps in some spaces to say, well, if you're if you're struggling with your mental health, then you're just not praying enough or your your faith must be weak in some other way. On the on the sort of other end of the spectrum, maybe we have um, attempted to fill in for uh, qualified medical personnel, thinking, well, the church can handle this. Uh, you don't need to go see a professional. And so we've got these extreme poles where we've kind of failed. What What do you say for people who have some trepidation um, when entering spaces like this? I think that the polls that you're describing are accurate depictions of the challenges that we experience in the faith communities. You didn't mention the folks who belong to faith communities where they want to deliver you of a demon. Oh, yeah, <laughs> which also right. happens, yes, of course. You know? of course. Um, and I've met quite a few people who've been injured by that cluster mm. of reactions to mental health problems and personal suffering. And I suspect there are others who are similarly injured by folks who are attempting to provide supports that might better be provided by medical professionals and professional counselors. I think in my own experience, a really good example of where the church falls into that middle space of providing belonging and value and hope happened when, due to a change in my medications and I'll say tangentially that so far I've been given six different diagnoses and treated with 22 different medicines. Oh my goodness. So (laughs) my sense of what the medical profession is and isn't able to do is a little bit more nuanced than some (laughs) folks might be. (laughs) Good disclaimer, yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But during one of those meds change moments when a new med caused me to believe, and this is going to be hard for you to understand if 
you've learned about how helpful all these meds are. A new medication caused me to have the delusional belief that God is evil and the Bible is a pack of lies like any dysfunctional daddy would create to justify himself, right? And when you're delusional, you really can't not believe something. (laughs) That's the nature of delusionality. There was a little teeny tiny piece of me that knew that this was not me, but it was really teeny because my brain had been taken over by this delusion. Wow. Because I had a prayer partner in my church who I had been praying with weekly for a couple of years at that point, when she came over on Wednesday night, I could tell her what was going on, and she could respond really calmly, Mm. well, you haven't always believed this, Mm. and I don't think you're always going to believe this, but while you do believe it, you don't have to pray. I'll do the praying. And that's the kind of middle space intervention that we as a people of God can be really good at. Mm. She allowed me to still be part of the people of God, to still be part of that weekly prayer routine that we'd established, and did not ask of me something that was not possible in that delusional state. And in some ways carried something for you, too, that you were unable of, of carrying at that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in talking with people who've experienced um, trauma or really intense grief, uh, when they found themselves unable to pray or unable to talk to God, uh, to have a community come around them and say, we will hold this for you and we will pray when you are unable. That, that seems so much healthier and more authentic than when the church surrounds you and says, well, just try harder, right? You know, (laughs) if your friend had, had said, well, that's a lie, you know, like just shake yourself out of it. right? (laughs) Recite to yourself these Bible verses whenever you think that it's like, well, all I would be able to do is recite those Bible verses. And then I would get a new diagnosis of obsessive compulsive disorder because I'm reciting those Bible (laughs) verses all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And perhaps even more, debilitating to you to hear that in that space too, mm-hmm. um, if that had been the posture. Wow. I, I'm curious, um, bringing your, your full self, it sounds like, to this project uh, must make this a very, very personal book for you. It really is. And, you know, again, going back to when I say it feels like this was sort of laid out for me, yeah. I didn't spend a lot of time researching, for example, stories I was going to tell, including stories that were not from my own life. These are stories that I've heard over four decades of knowing other people with mental health challenges, knowing pastors who interact with folks with mental health challenges. Um, And so, there's a lot of research to get to the contemporary statistical information that's included. Mm. But the stories are stories that my friends and I have lived through over these, you know, 40 years that I've been an adult, 40 plus years that I've been an adult with a diagnosis. Wow. We just want to say thank you for being a listener of Ing Podcast. Thank you for continuing to journey with us and for helping to spread the word about this ongoing storytelling endeavor. Please share our episodes with people who you think might value from these conversations. We also hope you might consider advertising with Ing Podcast. Are you connected to an organization with similar values or themes? Consider becoming an episode or season sponsor. 
we'll help you reach our growing audience. To find out more, email joeh at menomedia.org. Are there metrics, I guess, that that uh, faith communities can use to to know where their place is in walking with someone? You know, how do we have the wisdom that your friend had to sort of find that correct posture or moment? <laughs> That's a really interesting question, and I have to say, I think my friend knew the right posture because she had learned to listen to God. I tell the story in my book of a pastor I knew who, in the Sunday evening service, you know how bad Sunday evening services can go. That's If, if a crazy's going to show up, that's when, right? <laughs> and so, <laughs> someone sits down in the front row, and as soon as he starts preaching, the guy's hand goes up. He's got a question. And pastor answers it and goes back to his message, and the hand's right back up again. Yeah. And so, pastor looks the guy answers the question and he says, look, would you look around you? Now, there are a lot of people in this room who've come to hear the message that I prepared, and I also want to answer your questions. So, would you be willing to hold your questions till after, and then we can go to my office and talk, and I'll answer all the questions you have. And so, the guy actually had to sit on his hands to stay silent, but he did, Mm -hmm. and then went back to pastor's office and got into this long conversation that ended up with him saying, well, I don't usually say this to people, but I have kind of a mind meld with aliens, and the aliens in my brain want to ask you a question. Mm. And pastor said, yeah. He said, well, they want to know, this Jesus, did he die for them too? Mm. And pastor was not at that point processing, is this guy psychotic because he says he has aliens in his brain? He was processing, this guy is worried about somebody's salvation. Mm. And so he thought, well, let's think about that. Jesus is God's only son, and he died once for the sins of the world, and that's for everyone's sins. So yes, I would say he died for the aliens in Mm. your brain. And the guy said, thank you. And he was that happy was and went out. Wow. Finding finding a meeting place or a connection point with the individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. It can be really a lot like, I mean, I'm a senior healthcare chaplain, a lot like when you talk with somebody who has dementia, mm. you know? Yeah. You don't necessarily understand what's going on there, but you do understand there's a person there. Yeah. And it's your job to meet the person not to have a cognitive connection, but a human connection. Mm. Yeah, we don't try and rationally argue our way to to the truth with someone with dementia. Or yeah, you mentioned um, that in your writing, you try and alleviate some of what we've done as faith spaces and putting it all on church leadership. Can you talk a little bit more about that? One of the examples that really jumps out at me because it keeps coming up and keeps getting pushed on churches is the idea that churches need to establish and maintain a referral list. Mm. And from my perspective, as a person who is employed and has employment-based health insurance and whose employment-based health insurance changes every year, which means my network changes every year, which means the providers that get paid for changes every year, if you develop a referral list the odds that I can use any one of those providers 
well, maybe, right? <laughs> right. And how many times are you going to redevelop that referral list and what criteria are you going to use? Yeah. So I'll give you an example. Um, when I was living in North Carolina, I was seeing for a while the only psychiatrist that the area's conservative churches recognized as being a Christian like them and able to deal. You're always worried about if you're a person of faith, that you're going to say something about how you interact with God and they're going to take it as a form of delusion, right? Yeah. So that was who I saw, and that's apparently who diagnosed me as psychotic. Mm. <laughs> you, you know, you guys can do the best you can at creating a referral list, and it's still not necessarily going to be very helpful. Yeah. So it's much more useful for pastors, for pastoral leaders, elders, deacons, whatever, to say, look, the odds are pretty good. This is could be a long process. Yeah. This is how we understand the process goes. There are different people who provide this service. They provide it from different approaches. Some people are going to look backwards at your past experiences and try to help you resolve stuff. Some are going to look forward at skills you might want to develop and help you do that. Some are going to seek to alleviate emotional difficulties with medications. And all of these might be helpful to you, and I can't decide which. Mm. But we will be with you through what might be a kind of long process and tiring process of yeah. trying to find the right person to help you. Mm. I spent a little bit of time in youth ministry and um, uh, a few decades back, there was this uh, ratio that often got talked about, like how many adults do we need with the amount of youth that we have? And um, at some point that sort of switched and it switched in this way. It was almost as if the ratio was reversed. If before we used to think we need at least one adult for every 10 youth, the new model was, well, actually, we need to be creating a network of 10 adults to walk with, with each youth. It, it's not just the youth pastor. It's not just the youth volunteers. It's not just the lead pastor. It's adults in their community, their school, their um, their workplace, all of them sort of acting as a web of care for this individual, um, rather than thinking that one person can oversee the lives of, of 10 to 15 young adults. And it, it strikes me as I'm hearing you talk that that's kind of what we need to strive for in the church, right? When we're walking with someone with mental health, it's not up to one of us to handle all the people who have mental health challenges, but to surround those of us who carry these mental health uh, challenges with a network of people that they can turn to in their, in their time of need. And to imagine us as uh, being more connected just seems so life-giving, really. I mean, and we all need that, regardless of where we are uh, on, on the mental health uh, spectrum. Well, I think that what you just said is really important. We all need that, regardless of where we are on the mental health spectrum. Yeah. One of the things that is statistically true about people who live with mental health challenges is that we have fewer friends than folks who don't have mental health challenges, and the friends that we have are more likely to be just family members mm. or dominated by family members. So that network of belonging, that web of belonging that is so critical to normal human health is ruptured. Yeah. In our lives, here, uh, 
here for me, one of the things that was remarkable after I moved back to Maine was discovering how nurturing a network of belonging my Rotary Club turned out to be. Mm, Um, You know, who thinks that this just century-old civic club of business people would be a good resource for belonging. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you're thinking about what are the networks of belonging that folks have, it can include the folks at church and hopefully can include some other folks, Yeah, you know? Yeah. I wonder what uh, word you would have for those who, um, like myself, have have found uh, their way to a mental health challenge later in life. Uh, Many folks, you know, experience mental health from a very... um, mental health struggles from a very young age, but some of us like myself, it, it happens much later. Is there, is there a word of wisdom that you have for, for people who, you know, only now are discovering <laughs> how challenging mental health can be? <laughs> well, first off, you are only average in that because yeah. the CDC says that half of us will experience a mental health challenge in our lifetime. So that to me says that there is This bar between no mental health challenges and some mental health challenges that's exactly at the middle, (laughs) which says it's normal to have mental health challenges. I mean, half of us don't, half of us do, you know, big whoop, right? Um, And I think that, and without knowing what's going on for you, um, there's a lot of stuff that happens as we move into our lives that is challenging. I mean, I think particularly, you know... At your age, there's going to be career transitions. There's going to be stress of family management, the potential sandwich generation, caring for aging parents and young children at the same time. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that is going to make you tear out your hair if it doesn't (laughs) make your mind go ragged. Um, At my age, man... People die all the time. (laughs) You know, I have a lot of friends who die. And... It's normal yeah. to struggle with some of these things. It would not be normal if you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, you know? Yeah. And I think it's really sad that we're reaching a point where we're looking at folks who are behaving and feeling the things that even in the case of, you know, your midlife young family stresses are evolutionary adaptations. I mean, you're supposed Mm -hmm. to feel anxious Mm -hmm. when there's a big challenge in front of you. That's what allows you to focus and drive towards succeeding. Um, And so when we make these into disorders instead of normal human functions, that's kind of problematic. (laughs) Same thing. I mean, this um, new transitional version of the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Illnesses has just defined a new diagnosis called prolonged grief disorder. Mm. I mean, it used to be they could call you chronically depressed if you weren't over your grief in two weeks. But now if you are, if a year after you have lost someone you love, you still think about them every day, you still feel like you've lost a part of yourself, (laughs) you still find it hard to be around the things that represent time you share together, you can be diagnosed. Mm. And I would say you are normal. And you are going through what it is to find a new path when a significant part of your life is gone. Oh, that's so uh, refreshing and life-giving. And this whole conversation, really, Carly and I have been feeling that. 
where do you find uh, hope as you as you find yourself in such a heavy uh, space of of mental health? Where are you finding hope uh, in this moving forward? Well, I'll tell you what I said to a friend who is not a follower of Jesus that I was having coffee with on Friday. I love the picture at the very end of the Bible of a place where there isn't even any salt to make tears out of. Mm. And I love the pictures in the Old Testament of the time when the people of God are revealed in their glory and the trees are clapping and the mountains are dancing. And it's like, I want to go to that party. (laughs) You know, there's little hope that I find along the way at, as we all do, as we face and surmount specific challenges. Mm -hmm. But there's also that big hope that we can hold on to even when the challenges are not surmountable Mm. or when something that we thought we had attained suddenly crashes. Mm. So I find it really revealing that in a European study done by the London School of Economics of what community engagement intervention was most effective in helping older adults like myself deal with depression. And it wasn't sports clubs or political clubs or neighborhood associations or the pub they go to every night. It was their faith community. Mm, yeah. And of course, Europe doesn't do a lot of faith community, so that's even particularly remarkable, right? Yeah, yeah. And what I see as the difference there is that you can work politically for something that crashes, right? Yeah. And, you know, even decades and, and you're disappointed. Your sports club, sports clubs fail all the time, yeah. <laughs> right? And unless you're in Boston, you crash. Um, and the same thing with, you know, all kinds of human associations. But in our faith communities, we are placing our hope in something that does not change and does not fail. And that allows even the losses against short-term hopes to be placed in the context of a hope that doesn't change. Carlene, it has been a joy for me to have this conversation today. I want to say thank you. And I encourage um, those who are resonating with what you're saying to consider picking up this book, Not Quite Fine, Mental Health, Faith, and Showing Up for One Another. Um, Carlene, if there uh, are folks who want to follow what you're up to, uh, do you have online places that you point people? Um, You can look at Carlene Hill Byron author on Facebook. That's the best place to find me online. And when I post to my blog, it will always appear there. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. Thank you for having me, Ben. Next week on Ing Podcast, join us as we sit down with pastor and author Johnny Rashid. I think that it comes from how polarized our political system is and the anxiety that comes with appearing partisan or appearing political, because people don't want to do that. And so what I talk about in my book is I want to give people permission to stand on the side of the oppressed, even if it appears to be incidentally partisan. As always, we'd like to thank our guests and all who support Ing Podcast. Thank you for joining us on the journey. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. And if you have something to share, 
Send us a message at theing at menomedia.org or by leaving us a voicemail. Ing Podcast is hosted by Reverend Allison Moss and Reverend Dr. Dennis Edwards and produced by me, Ben Weidman. Views and opinions expressed on Ing Podcast are those of our hosts and guests and may not represent that of Leader Magazine or Menno Media. Ing Podcast is a production of Menno Media, a nonprofit publisher that creates thoughtful Anabaptist resources to enrich faith in a complex world. To find out more, visit us online at menomedia.org. Thank you.